You're listening to the Empty Stringers Podcast, where every week we talk about locating, catching, and the conservation of redfish. My hope is to share with you what I'm seeing from the polling platform so that together we can catch more fish. Think of it as your weekly fishing report. Welcome back to the podcast, folks. I'm your host, Matt Parrish. We got a couple of trips to recap this week. We had that little front come through and sucked quite a bit of water out of the marsh. I I don't know that I would call it a full-blown dump, but we had about a foot and a half, almost two, I think it's almost two feet of uh, tide flow uh, that fell out. And the water level has stayed lower. Uh, we had a high front push in after that with the moon uh, moving away from the earth. And all of that combined is going to keep that water low. We've had west in the wind. It's either been a southwest, northwest, whatever. Uh, all of those things combined is going to keep that water level down a little bit. But I'm a little glad to see that. Here's why. We were in, I, I am normally polling in about a foot of water. Well, a lot of my areas that were a foot of water turned into two and a half feet uh, during all of this high tide stuff. And it's tougher to see a school of fish in two and a half feet of water, even when they're up against the bank and they're working under uh, egrets and stuff, it's tough to see the fish. You still catch them, still catch as many of them as you want, but it's just more fun to see the school. And uh, sometimes they are slick. Sometimes they disappear on you. When they spook off, it's tougher to see where they went. So with that water level a little bit lower, we're going to get to see the fish a lot better. The water is clearing up some. It's still not that crystal clear that we're going to get after uh, we settle into the 50s and 60s for our water temps. Water temp is still up into the 70s in the afternoon. And so your water is not going to get as clear as it will be in uh, the coming, you know, probably three weeks. I'm guessing two, three weeks we'll get another front that might actually clear it up. But the fishing has been amazing. Just look at social media. Everybody's catching redfish. People that you that that were struggling in the summer and in the spring, this is their time. They're catching redfish all over the place, and I love it. It's my favorite time of year. The trout, after this big front, the trout are going to go nuts in a lot of the open bay areas, a lot of main lakes. There's even going to be some trout action in the back marshes, but a lot of shrimp flushed out with this last front that came through. You're going to see seagulls working over the top of uh, of trout. So you have a choice to make. If you're a diehard redfish guy like me, uh, you can stay back in the back and hunt redfish and have a really good day, or you can go out and chase birds in the open waters and have a really good day on trout. Uh, I don't care much for trout. If I have a customer on the boat and we're just having a tough day and that's an option, then maybe. But it's, it's. I mean, describe tough day, you know, for this time of year. It's, the days are good. I mean, 
I would say a three fish day is a tough day right now. That's a that's a really tough day. Um, but you should be out there catching five to twenty redfish. Uh, we had a day on the water last year where we caught uh, like somewhere around thirty fish, and seventeen of those were redfish. But those days don't happen all the time. It's going to be hit or miss, and there are days that are going to be a little tougher. We've got high pressure, so you got picky fish. Uh, fish that are a little more lethargic, but they're still going to school. The shrimp are still there. It's going to be on. So let's recap the two trips I had this last week. I had uh, a new friend of mine, uh, Tim, on the boat. A customer hired me out for uh, for this trip, and we had never met. He's a listener to the podcast, and he was an absolute joy to have on the bow of the boat. The guy was a bass fisherman, so he his... Um, Casting accuracy was spot on, uh, great at uh, putting the lure where he needed to put it. And we pulled around and just caught fish all day. Uh, I think we we caught uh, somewhere around eight redfish and a few trout and a couple of flounder. Had a great day. It was a good time. Uh, the fish were schooling. It's under the snowy egrets. Water was high. They're concentrated in certain areas and they're moving. They're starting to move from those areas. So the first big move that uh, that is going to happen happened uh, this past weekend with that front that went through. So I have not been on the water since the front came through. So I've got quite a bit of an adjustment to make tomorrow. But I have a game plan. I think I know what's up. I think it's going to be okay. But uh, Tim and I uh, roamed around the marsh and chased several schools of fish and we caught most of our fish well probably half of our fish we caught uh as they were schooling the other half we had to wait because they had broken up not doing anything the birds are just sitting on the bank we hung around those areas and we picked them apart and caught the rest of our fish that way Uh, there was one time where we were chasing a school couldn't quite catch them. We lost them, and the birds quit, and I banked the boat up on the island that those fish were circling, and it was a really skinny island, so like from the bow of the boat, you could fish either side of the island. Just kind of nosed it up in the grass, and I said, look, let's just wait. Those fish didn't leave. They're coming around this island. Let's just see if we can see them. They're going to come around. And we waited for what I thought might have been a little bit too long. And then I looked. There was the tiniest bit of a wake headed towards us. Tim threw out, bam, nailed that uh, that redfish. That was a nice fish. And so uh, that has happened over and over again with my trips lately is, hey, if you missed that school and you didn't spook them, they're probably going to continue to work around those islands, even if the birds are not on them. So you just got to pay attention and watch the water, watch the grass move. You can see the reeds tick uh, like something bumped them and shook them. Uh, that salt grass will do that. And so I watch for the grass moving. I watch for the uh, the occasional tail. I watch for the push of water. And you just you don't always have to have the bird on them, right? So. We caught lots of fish doing that, lots of fish staking, uh, you know, pulling around in areas where birds had been working and just 
picking the area apart, catching fish. So had a great day that day. Uh, wind was, uh, was manageable. The next day I had a kid trip. So this is the father and son that were on the boat. If you go back and listen to my episode entitled uh, Crappy Trip, yep. If you haven't listened to that episode, you need to. That trip, uh, those customers, that's who I had on the boat. I felt like even though I'm not geared up to do kid trips, it's not what I'm good at. I don't, I don't, I'm not rigged up to throw live bait and that kind of thing. I thought these, these folks deserve another crack at, uh, at a trip. So we went out. And the first thing we did was hunt down schools of redfish, and we had three schools of redfish right off the back, and um, trying to help uh, trying to help Casey cast in front of these schools of redfish. Now, I have had grown men, lots of grown men on the boat that cannot hit a moving school of fish when they are because. It'd be one thing if we're sitting there waiting on them, and sometimes you get lucky and you're close enough to where you can uh, you can sit there and wait on them. Oftentimes, you're I'm pulling the boat up as fast as I can to get in position, and we're converging on a spot at the same time, and you've got one or two good shots at that school. That's a tough situation to be in, and unless you're used to doing it, and if you're really excited about it, your nerves can get to you. You wrap your line around the end of your pole. You throw it way up in the grass. You you name it, right? You it can go wrong. Uh, we had a few instances where where that happened, but we were patient. We waited, uh, and when if Casey uh, would miss the shot, Mark would pick up the slack and catch the fish. So. Uh, Mark had caught three fish. We lost that last fish. It, it buried itself into a grass island, and uh, as Mark was trying to pull it around, the uh, the fish came off. So two in the boat, one we had lost. And as we're pulling up to where I, I saw some other birds, I couldn't tell if they were on our side of the shore or on the other side in this other little back leg. And the uh, there was another boat. But it was a trout. It was a trout boat. The guys were fishing for trout. I could tell. It was two guys, uh, a V hole that was set up for trout. They're both uh, throwing lures, and there's a school of redfish working down the bank, right by them. I mean, right by them. They had no idea it was there because they don't listen to this podcast. But egrets were hopscotching on the bank. It was plain as day, clear as Isabel, that this group of fish was moving away from them. They had a trolling motor. They could have powered up and caught up to that group of fish and caught some, but they they were completely oblivious to it. And I didn't tell them any different because they were uh, trout fishermen. So maybe they didn't care anything about catching redfish. So uh, we move on from there. Uh, It was time to go grab some shrimp and rig up my favorite, the popping cork. And so, uh, we go, uh, get some shrimp and this is how unprepared I am for live bait fishing. I have a bucket. It has no lid on it. I've got shrimp that the lady at the marina gives you 
in a bucket. So you pour that bucket of shrimp into your bucket of shrimp and off we go. It's half full of water. We get out and uh, are pounding waves to get to the spot we want to go. And every time we pound a wave, water from that bucket spraying all over everything, us and just everything else on the boat. So uh, we finally make it to the spot. And I had a couple of moments where I looked like I really knew what I was doing. And in a moment where I looked like I'd never fished before in my life because I uh, got in this spot. I told Mark and Casey, I said, hey, this lake back here is normally dry, but with the high tide that we have, it's full and we've got an outgoing tide and we should be in the last hour of this outgoing tide. There's going to be fish staged up in here feeding on whatever's falling out of this lake. Cast up in this drain. Uh, pop, pop, pop. You should you should get some action. So Mark does just that. Bam, bam, bam. Uh, Redfish nails his shrimp, sucks his popping cork under. He sets the hook, comes off. We think maybe it broke off, but... I looked at the end of the line and it looked to me like it was a clear knot failure. So because I had the popping cork, I tied an improved clinch knot. And if you don't, I knew this at the time and I just thought it was going to be okay anyway. But when you tie that knot, you have to take your fingernails and slide it down to that eye, cinch it in tight. If if you're tying it directly over the eye of the hook or the or the leader or whatever, and you're using the tag end to cinch it over the top of that eye, you're gonna come loose because what you're gonna do is cut that tag end. You're gonna cut it fairly short because that's how we do, and then when that knot actually clinches up and like cinches up when a fish tugs on it, it's gonna suck that tag end through, and you're you're coming loose you're coming unbuttoned rookie move i thought it was going to hold it did not popping cork pops back up about 100 yards from the boat we mosey on over there to get it we got it fish was off of it so put it back in the tackle bag tie correct knot this time uh casey is uh is not you know there's not a whole lot of action we had that happen and then we we're just kind of waiting uh casey's uh you know messing with the shrimp he's fascinated by those by those guys and and which is great it gives him you know gives him something to do he was uh having a good time but i could tell like we needed some action so i start pushing towards this oyster reef and the this oyster reef is uh, beautiful, well, in, well intact reef. It's normally like six inches under the water, or maybe just poking out of the water. But with the high tide we had, it was a foot, maybe a foot and a half underwater. So I told Mark, I said, just throw that popping cork right on top of it. There's going to be a big trout or a big redfish patrolling that reef. It's impossible for there not to be. We had already seen one really nice bull red uh, that we didn't get a good shot at. Uh, if we had been throwing paddle tails, that would have been a caught fish. But uh, it's hard to like snipe at a fish with a popping cork. So uh, we get over there. He throws the cork right on top of that reef. 
it was in the water 10 seconds and a redfish hammered it. And uh, it ended up being a 28 and a half inch redfish. Beautiful fish. Put up a heck of a fight. And um, we went back through the marsh. Things had shut down because of that tide changeover. And uh, and your incoming tide just isn't as good as your outgoing um, this time of year. It's still fine, but it's just, I mean, if I'm going to get to pick, I'm going to pick my outgoing tide because I want the water to suck the shrimp out of the grass because that's what fires up the redfish. You still catch plenty of fish on an incoming tide. Don't email me uh, about that. I, I know we're, we're good there. So those were... Uh, those were my two trips. We ended up with uh, roughly five redfish on that trip, uh, if you count the one, uh, the two that came unbuttoned. Uh, so five eats, I guess you would say. And that was that. Uh, it's kind of a tough day. It, it hurt to leave, and I know Mark like took one for the team because he wanted Casey to be engaged and have fun, and it was all about you know doing what uh, doing what his son wanted to do. But I know that Mark would have loved to have stayed back in the marsh and just chased schools of redfish all day uh, because we could have. They were everywhere. I mean, you just looked up. There's there's schools of redfish everywhere. Uh, it was one of those kind of days. And so uh, Mark took one for the team there, and we we roamed around and did uh, and did the shrimp and popping and cork thing, which I admittedly I am not very good at. It's just not what I do most of the time. But we made lemonade out of lemons on that one and i had uh i had a good time they're good folks they're fun to have out on the boat casey's a good kid and uh so now i'm faced with uh this week i've got low winds tomorrow on thursday when you're going to be listening to this podcast and i've got a couple of fly fishermen on the boat and we're gonna have a blast i mean it's like it's like the day god made for fly fishing it's going to be fantastic and then uh, Friday, I've got a uh, bait caster, spinning rod, uh, artificial throwing uh, dude on the boat that's pretty well versed fisherman, from what I can tell. So uh, it's going to be a good week. I'm excited, and uh, we're going to get back uh, to doing uh, chasing some schools. I hope. I'm interested to see what the what the lower water is going to do. But we're going to have a high tide in the morning. It's going to fall out all after well all the way until the afternoon and so that should be a ton of fun i uh i keep getting asked about the progress on the baytown house i appreciate everyone's concern um it's just the gift that keeps on giving you know what i mean big thank you to uh to ellis young man that listens to this podcast he helped me out big time with the plumbing and all electrical is done, but the city of Baytown is going to make me hire a building engineer, a residential building engineer to check. I, It sounds expensive. They want me to check the foundation, the chimney, uh, the framing, all of that stuff. But I think that part of that is because they don't know yet that I didn't change any of the... I didn't add walls or take out walls. Uh, the house is exactly the same as it was when I bought it. We just replaced board for board. We had rotten wood from termites, 
And so I don't know anything about uh, the building engineer process. I am about to learn a whole lot about it. So we'll just have to see what what happens with all that stuff. I had a listener write in and say that they enjoyed the podcast, but that I need to get a pop filter on the mic because they can hear a lot of pops. You are absolutely correct, sir. I do need a pop filter and I will have one shortly. I'm going to order one uh, this week. So I appreciate the feedback there. That is right on the money. All right, let's get to what I wanted to talk about. Uh, all that was just the intro. <laughs> so we're not going to go too, uh, too long today, but I got a little thing that I want to talk about. I get asked on the boat uh, almost every trip with a customer they want to know two things. Either it's, hey, what do you think about Salt Strong? Or, hey, what do you think about like those Patreon accounts that are uh, spot burning? You know, they're like telling you, hey, I, go here, do this, catch fish, right? Uh, so let's start with Salt Strong. I think that for the program that it is, it offers a good service. I don't think that you should expect to, I don't think it's going to change your world. I think that time on the water is what's going to change your world. But Salt Strong has a lot of great information out there. They teach uh, the blocking and tackling the basics, right? And those are all things that you need to have if you're going to go spend quality time out on the water because it starts to teach you what to look for in the areas that you need to go uh, check out. And then the more time you spend on the water and the more uh, season seasonal changes you experience while you're out on the water, the more you're able to put those blocking and tackling uh, tidbits into action and and use that to catch more fish. Use it to find the right areas. So... Do I think it's a it's a total game changer? No, but uh, some of their mapping technology is really cool now. It shows you you know all the reefs and all the different things that that pop up. I I think that's really cool. I I don't pay for it, but uh, because I'm into fishing and I'm on Instagram, their ads pop up all over my stuff. Do I think that their baits are special? Not at all. I think that's ridiculous. They're making a paddle tail that that's on par with every other paddle tail on the market. Uh, just because it has a salt strong label on it doesn't mean it's doing anything different than what all the other stuff is doing. So what I would recommend is take advantage of the free stuff. And if you, if you really want to, uh, to subscribe, then, uh, I think you're, you're probably going to get stuff out of it. I think it's probably going to be helpful. They are trying to teach people how to fish and not show people the exact spots to fish from what I've gathered of the program. And I think that's a great, that's what I'm trying to do here on this podcast. I think it's great. Um, so there, there's my bit about Salt Strong. I think it's cool. I've read a lot of their material. I've checked out their videos. Uh, some of it is complete, completely ridiculous, but most of it is uh, good stuff. Now let's get on to the spot burners. Okay. If please, please 
don't pay someone's Patreon account for them to send you spots to go fish. Because uh, if you are fishing for redfish, which you're tuned into this podcast, right? You're just going to, you're going to end up frustrated because you are, you may go to one of those spots and you may uh, catch a few fish one day, but that guy who is telling you where that spot is, is telling lots of other people where that spot is. Okay. That spot is likely easily accessible. Uh, it's going to be pretty darn popular after uh, he's done, you know, sending out the coordinates to everyone on his mailing list and his Patreon. But the thing is, he went and caught fish at that spot when the tide was at a certain level, when there were shrimp or certain types of bait fish uh, hatching out in the area, when XYZ was happening, right? It wasn't just... Well, this spot, this is where they're at. No, they're gone tomorrow. They're going to be somewhere else. You can go to uh, the same spots that I have been nailing redfish for the past two weeks. You show back up there in another two weeks, they're not going to be there. They're going to move. And so you have to learn how to know when they're moving and to know where they're going to go. And that takes time on the water and it takes all of the good reading and education and all that stuff that you can get from podcast and salt strong and all that stuff, bundle all that up and then be a detective when you're out on the water and start figuring out why the fish are where they are and where they're going to be next. If you're paying for those spots, you're wasting your money. You may have a good day once in a while, but I'm just here to tell you, the guys that are doing that, most of them don't know what they're doing. They don't know uh, how to target the redfish consistently and uh, across a large area. Those guys are are going, look, all they're doing is saying, hey, I I fished here uh, last Wednesday and I launched here and I went here and I caught I I caught fish I caught four trout and two redfish. Um, who cares? Who cares? You can go anywhere in the bay and grind hard enough and do that. Okay, so just don't do it. And if you're one of those spot burners out there that's listening to this podcast, go do something else. You're wasting your time and you're ruining uh, certain areas and a lot of people's fishing experience because everyone's showing back up to the same spot. Like it's it's ridiculous. You you'll catch fish in a spot. It'll be good. You'll see someone you know burn that spot who has like one of those Patreon things, and all of a sudden there's you know seven kayakers there the next day when you're out. Uh, fishing it. It's just not, uh, it's not proper etiquette. It's why I don't tell you guys, Hey, I was in, you know, I don't even usually mention the names of marshes because a marsh is a marsh is a marsh. 
there if you're in them and you're exploring them properly you're going to find you're going to get used to the the rhythm and the routine of that area and know when the shrimp are going to hatch and how the fish are going to behave and uh you just have to stay on it and podcasts like mine and the paddler's playbook and uh all of that stuff it's going to help you um learn the things to look for, the behavioral patterns of the weather, the tide, and uh, and the specific bait hatches to your area to help you catch more fish. So I'm very against the Patreon thing. If, uh, you know, I'm, I've never been one to, to like not like someone just because I disagree with them. So look, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm sure the people doing that are nice people and uh, and they're just doing what they think is right. I just disagree. So, so that's my two cents on those two things. I am uh, going out tomorrow and the next day. I'm excited about that. Before we get out of here, I'm going to give you guys a Bible tidbit. So controversial subject with the Bible is the rapture. So we have lots of different theological viewpoints on the rapture. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, Rapture is a word that basically means caught up. Don't don't search for the word rapture in the Bible because it isn't in there. Uh, the The word rapture is a word that the, the Christian culture uses to describe a phenomenon that we believe, all of us who are believers, believe that it will take place because the Bible says it will. It's a time when Jesus comes back and we are caught up to meet him in the air at his return. And in that moment, we are changed uh, into our uh, our new body, our heavenly body that we're going to get at the end of the age. And there's a lot of mystery surrounding that thing. It's way more than we can dive into uh, today. But because I had mentioned about Revelation, I thought I would I would just touch on this little thing. So, the most descriptive uh, part of the Bible that talks about the rapture is, hold on, I'm looking it up here. It's 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. Uh, That is the most detailed description of the rapture in all of Scripture. I'm not going to read it to you. It's fairly long, but here's the premise of it. Christ had his ministry on earth. Ministry started when he was somewhere around 30 years old, and he died at 33 years old on the cross and then rose from the dead, appeared to about 400 people uh, after he had risen from the tomb, and then he ascended into heaven. And the gospel message part of it was that he is coming back. He mentioned while he was on earth, he's coming back. And so the people didn't know how long that was going to take. And time started to pass. And some of those people that had put their faith in Christ that were waiting on his return, they got old, they died, they got sick, they died. And the church at Thessalonica one of the questions they were wrestling with was what happens to those people? Now, Paul, who is writing the book of Thessalonians, the letter to them, he is explaining to them 
what's going to happen when, uh, you know, when Christ comes back. And part of that is that those people that have already died are going to rise first. And then those of us that are still alive are going to rise right after them and meet Christ in the air. But we will all be changed into our new body. Uh, that probably, if you're not a believer, sounds ridiculous to you. I would just uh, hope that you would trust me in saying that if I had about an hour, uh, I could sit down and explain all of it to you in a way that didn't sound so insane. But some of it would probably still sound a little insane. That's okay. That's the faith. And so this rapture thing, the the controversy around it is not whether it will happen, but when it will happen. There are groups of people uh, that believe it will happen before a time period known as the Great Tribulation. There are groups of people that believe it will happen in the middle of the tribulation and some that believe it will happen at the end. Uh, I am one of those people that believes it's going to happen at the end because I don't see any reference in Scripture that says that Christ is going to come a third time. It says Christ came, He died on the cross, He's going to come again. It does not mention He's going to have like this... uh, ambiguous third coming where he uh, sucks all the Christians up and all the non-Christians are left uh, wondering where we went. I just don't believe that's the way it's going to happen. I don't think the Bible supports that narrative. Um, Although there are theologians smarter than me that believe that, but they're on both sides. Some that agree with me, some that disagree. Uh, I say that also to let you know that in the Bible, many things about the Bible are, uh, some would say, left up to interpretation. I I don't particularly love that phrase, but what I will say is there are, there are a lot of different theological opinions about when and where and why, and uh, that do, that that's a good thing. We can uh, we can argue and disagree and and debate on those things, but the thing that matters most is that uh, believers agree that Christ came. He was the son of God that he died on the cross and rose again. And so my tidbit for you is go and read first Thessalonians chapter four, verses 13 through 18. Hopefully your curiosity is piqued. Go read it. It's the most descriptive passage in the Bible about the rapture. And that's it, folks. Uh, I appreciate all of you guys this week is the week. You cannot get my podcast anywhere else but on the Redfish Network. I'm just loading it up to the Redfish Network, and I am not loading it up to uh, my channel. There's going to be a little message on my channel that says, hey, everybody, if you came here looking for the podcast, you better go to the Redfish Network and get it. So um, tune in. Cool things are happening over there. I'll be back with you next week. If you want to reach out to me, it's emptystringers at gmail.com. You can find me on the Instagrams and the TikToks and the Facebooks. I would love to hear from you. If you send me an email, I may not respond for two or three days. That's because I want to take the time to sit down and respond to you. If you took the time to write me an email and you sat at your computer and typed it out and and you know sent me a thoughtful message... I 
am going to do the same for you. So uh, I'm not going to give you a quick, hey, thanks, man. Bye. You know, like I'm, I, I want to converse with you. That takes a little time. I carve out uh, some time to sit down at the computer and do that. So um, send me a message. I love to hear from you guys. I appreciate y'all listening. I appreciate you supporting me in the transfer over to the Redfish Network. I hope that you're enjoying Drew's uh, podcast, the, Plat- the Paddler's Playbook. And I've got plenty of dates open in November right now. If you want to book a trip, November's like the best month in the world to fish. Uh, and I've got lots of open dates. So go on cappedmattparish.com and book the trip. I'll see you guys next time.